We live our lives to a large degree with symbols. Of all the creatures God has made, only human beings have the capacity to think abstractly, that is, to use symbols. Words, for example. Words are symbols of the things that they stand for. They're not the things themselves. They represent those things. The word Bible is a symbol of a certain book. The word is not the book, but when I say it, your capacity to think abstractly allows you to call to mind a certain book that tells the story of God in community with his people and with his creation. Letters are symbols of sounds, and we group them together in words and sentences, which are symbols for thoughts, and then into paragraphs, which stand for stories. A symbol is something that represents something deeper, something that allows people to go beyond what is known or seen and create linkages between very different concepts and experiences. Symbols help us communicate and they help us remember. Numbers are symbols. You ask a two-year-old how old she is and she will hold up two fingers and say, I am this many. Very concrete thinking. Two fingers really is two. You ask a five-year-old and he will say, five. The word five in his mind really stands for five fingers, which stand for five years. So maybe fingers are symbols too. When the little girl holds up those two fingers and says, I am this many, she's using a very concrete symbol. You can touch it. You can feel it. Concrete symbols are the ones that we can manipulate and experience with our senses. And these are very powerful reminders of the reality that they represent. Within the realm of faith, God has given people many powerful symbols to help them remember salvation and the reality of it. The symbols are not the reality itself. They stand for reality. For example, the warm, sticky blood of lambs. That, that blood isn't life, but it's a symbol of the blood that does bring life, the blood of Jesus. And there are other very concrete symbols, and you know them, the sweet smell of incense representing the reality of our prayers ascending up to the ear of God, heavy piles of rock set up to commemorate significant events in a people's history, blood painted on doorposts, richly decorated robes worn by priests in the Old Testament, seven-branched candelabras, crosses, crowns of thorns, even dramatic reenactments that we act out. Baptism, for instance, standing for our death and burial, being united with the death and burial of Jesus, and our resurrection, being united with his resurrection. And even the Sabbath, these are all symbols of a greater reality. On the final Thursday evening of his life on earth, Jesus and his closest friends ate a symbolic supper, 
a meal that represented deliverance from slavery in Egypt. When God rescued his people, when he reached down and brought them out with his mighty hand and astounding miracles. Jesus took a piece of bread in that meal, unleavened, by the way, to symbolize purity. He took it and he handed it to his friends and he said, eat this, this is my body. Drink this juice, it's my blood. My life's blood is going to bleed out on the ground. And when it does, it will seal the promise I am making to you that you will be forgiven, that you will be saved. For a couple of thousand years now, the church of Jesus has used these symbols. Paul said, whenever you use them, whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You're declaring that Jesus Christ, the author of life, the creator of all that exists, the omnipotent one who knows it all, the one who has always existed, he laid down his life that we could be forgiven. Every time we eat these little bits of bread and we sip these tiny cups of juice, we think of that, or at least I hope we think of that, we are reminded once again of the unimaginable, God dying, hanging, beaten, bruised, and bloodied on a cross, spiked there in our place. We recall the astronomical sum it cost God to make us the promise and seal it in his blood, the salvation promise. We think of the infinite value we have now in his eyes. And our hearts are stirred up again a little bit. Somebody thinks so much of me as to die for me. And not just anybody. Jesus himself. I am loved with a magnificent everlasting love. That changes you. All that in a tiny bite of bread and a taste of juice. Of course, that's not all Jesus had in mind that night with his friends in that upper room. He gave them enduring symbols of their salvation, but he also gave them a symbol of something else, of servanthood. During that meal, he knelt down and he washed every one of their feet. And they were dirty feet, too, because most people did their traveling in those days on foot, and the streets weren't paved, and the people didn't wear shoes. They wore open sandals. Their feet got dirty. And people kept water pots by their front doors back then. At least the people who were wealthy enough to have homes or dwellings that had floors when you came inside one of those as a guest, you took your sandals off and your feet got washed. But you didn't wash them. A servant did. Your host didn't wash your feet. Your host's servant washed them. 
The followers of Jesus came to that Passover meal, that final supper with Jesus that night, without their feet being washed because there wasn't a servant in the house that night. Luke says that Peter and John were the ones that Jesus told to get everything ready for the meal, and they made sure all the preparations had been made, only they forgot to arrange for a servant to be there. So when they all gathered there that evening, they walked right by the water pot and then proceeded to that upper room. They may have been thinking to themselves, where's the servant around here anyway? Which one of these knuckleheads forgot to hire the servant? And they came to that salvation dinner dirty. But for Jesus in the upper room that final Thursday, 24 dirty feet symbolized a much deeper reality. 12 contaminated human hearts, the hearts of his very best friends, contaminated by pride and superiority and a persistent sense of self-importance because not one of them had been willing to do the servant's work for the rest of them. So Jesus did the servant's work. John 13, 3 tells the story. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel which was wrapped around him. Some of his friends were shocked at this behavior. Peter wasn't about to allow Jesus to get close to his feet, Maybe they had misunderstood what following Jesus was all about. Maybe they still thought of Jesus as a power figure and that proximity to him would enhance their own reputations. Maybe they each wanted to be on top because each one of them thought more about himself than he did about any of the others. A typical way of human thinking. So, Jesus knelt down before them and did the work of a servant. Wow, he really taught those guys a lesson, we think. And it was a lesson, even Jesus says it was, but it was more than that. He did it for a much more fundamental reason than just teaching them a lesson. Jesus did it because he was a servant. He is a servant. That's the very nature of who God is. It's one aspect of it, at least. It was Jesus, you remember, who said, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's a very famous hymn of the early Christian church. You can find it in Philippians, the second chapter, and it talks about the humility of Christ. It says, Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on a cross. Now, we tend to interpret these statements like this. We say, 
Christ Jesus, despite being in very nature God, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. But that misses the whole point. Here's what the hymn is saying. Christ Jesus, because of being very nature God, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. He didn't humble himself in spite of being God, but because he was God. John 13, 3 says, Jesus knew exactly who he was. He knew God had put everything under control. He knew where he had come from. He knew where he was going. He, he had come from the throne of the universe. So you might expect, verse 4 to read, in spite of all this, in spite of who he was and where he'd come from, Jesus got up from the meal and washed his disciples' feet. It does not. It says, so he got up from the meal. In other words, precisely because of who he was, he got up and he took off his outer clothes and he wrapped himself with a towel and he served them washed their feet. A few weeks ago in our Sabbath school class, Michael Smith was teaching and he asked a question in Sabbath school. He said, if you knew that you, you had only 24 hours to live and then you were going to die, what would you do in that 24 hours? And that was kind of an interesting question. We all went around that, that circle and we answered. And then Michael said, you know what Jesus did? He washed his followers' feet. He served them. Last 24 hours of his life. The heart of God is a heart of service, of giving to his created beings. And the final proof of that is not that he washed his men's dirty feet, but that he washed his dirty hearts. With his own blood he did. He washes our hearts. Around that circle, he moved from man to man, taking their soiled feet in his strong hands, rinsing them, making them clean. And when he finished washing their feet, John says, he put his clothes back on. And then he said, those, said, those, said to those who were about to become the leaders of the church, he said, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed. You will be happy if you do them. To the embryonic church, he said those words. And to his church today, he says them still. Have you ever wondered? The symbols of salvation Jesus gave his church that night, the bread and the wine, they have endured as two of the most celebrated symbols of Christianity for millennia. But the symbol he gave his church for servanthood, that symbol has all but been lost to obscurity. And yet the practice of servanthood is a core value of being a follower of Jesus. It is a core component of genuine biblical community. 
There's a beautiful description of the early church in Acts chapter 2, and you are familiar with this. We've read it many times. But verse 42 of Acts 2 is a kind of summary statement, and it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Some scholars believe that the phrase breaking of bread is a reference to the celebration not only of communion but to foot washing. And if that's true, it means that in the first church, those believers celebrated in symbol what they lived in their lives. Because it also says in the verses that follow that they gave to anyone who had a need. It said they shared their stuff as if it belonged to all of them. They committed their lives to one another. They helped each other and loved each other and served each other so well that the whole world looked on and said, that's unbelievable. We have never seen anything like that before. They looked on and they marveled. There are still a few Christian churches that have retained the symbol of servanthood that Jesus used with his followers that night. There are not many, but there are a few. The Mennonites do it regularly. A few of the Episcopal churches, a handful of the Baptists, and the Seventh-day Adventists. We normally do it whenever we have communion. It's just kind of, it's a way to help our proud hearts get into the right frame of mind to receive the sacrifice of Christ. But we've missed it now for, for two years because of COVID. And I think it has been a significant loss for us. Just one more thing that has separated us one from the other. So for the first time in two years, we can reenact what Jesus did that night and in a very concrete, very earthy way, remember that as Jesus served people, we are called to serve people. As the heart of Jesus is a heart of service, so will be the hearts of those who follow him. Of course, it is true that the symbol itself is not as relevant to our culture as it was in the days of Jesus when everybody traveled by walking and wore open sandals on dusty streets. We don't do that much anymore. But the meaning of that symbol still burns with white hot relevancy, reminding us of the significance in, that significance in life comes through serving people. And that's a principle we'll all act out in just a few minutes. We will remind ourselves that serving people is one of the things, it's one of the keys to happiness in life. And we wouldn't have guessed that on our own. We'd more likely think that keys to happiness would be things like having lots of stuff, or being thought well of, or having really fun hobbies, or being top dog. Jesus says, no, it's serving. Happy are you if you do this. So here's a question to think about. What would it look like for us to take this principle of serving one another that we symbolize by the washing of feet to the next level? What would that look like? Think about what Jesus did the night he washed his followers' feet. He was headed to the cross for those guys. He would soon lay down his life for their pardon and their redemption. The basin and the towel and the dirty feet made clean, it all seems somehow symbolic of the whole process of salvation. Jesus was saying to them, 
I will go to the gates of hell and back for you. I will love you. I will continue to love you no matter how much it costs me. I will not fail you. I will not quit. Whatever you need, I will be there for you. I will even taste eternal death so that you will not have to because I love you that much. All that is implicit in the act of bathing those dirty feet. Now imagine the power of the, the, that the church would have to change the world if you and I would have the same kind of mindset when we kneel to wash the feet of a fellow believer. You know, it, it's really not hard for me to wash somebody's feet. It might seem a little awkward, but it's not difficult. What's difficult is for me to order my life in a way to truly serve that person. That's what's difficult. To be there when things aren't going well. To listen when he or she needs to talk. To teach gently. To offer compassion. But that's our calling. That is our calling. Imagine a church where people knelt and washed each other's feet. And in doing so, they were symbolically saying, I will be there for you no matter what. When life gets hard, I will hold you up. If you become discouraged, I will encourage. If you fail, I'll stick by you. If you fall in temptation, I will confront you in grace. When you are weak, I will lend you strength. If your kids are in trouble or your marriage is in trouble, I'll listen. I'll help where I can. When tragedy strikes, I'll walk with you through it. However I can serve. I am willing. Imagine a church like that. The world would stand in awe of that kind of God-honoring community. I want you to think about that as you go and you find a partner and you wash one another's feet. These will be special moments these next few. Don't just go through the motion, try to get it over with and settle for an empty symbol. Serving people is not easy, but it brings joy and it brings happiness. To serve and be served, that's what builds community. And I want to learn to do it better. I hope that you do too. I hope as you go and you serve each other now with the symbols of water and basin and feet, you will ask God to show you how you can begin to truly serve each other in ways that will make eternity one step closer. Our deacons have set up some rooms for us to, to do this. Uh, in the sunroom north, there's a, a place set up for men who are participating with men. In the sunroom south, there's a place set up for women who will participate for, with women. And in the fellowship hall, families married couples and families that would like to participate together can go there. And if you go to the fellowship hall, I'm gonna ask you to go outside and go in the out, outside door around the corner so that you're not going through the place where the ladies will be, okay? And uh, if there are some of you that would just prefer to remain here because of the, the COVID thing or whatever, that's perfectly fine, just wait and we will be back in just a few moments and then we'll have the symbols, okay? So let's do that.